in doing uh, a series on relationships and doing something on marriage that we're part of the family of Jesus. And being part of the family of Jesus, um, the heart of the house is we recognize they're singles and, and they're married, married people. And uh, we believe both are gifts. They're gifts that are given to us by God. And so we, we understand that singleness in the U.S. among adults, 4 in 10 adults ages 25 to um, 54 are unpartnered is what they call it, unpartnered. And 50% of people over 65 are unpartnered. Most singles in the U.S., Minneapolis is in the top 10. Most single men in Minneapolis um, Minneapolis claims that spot, so go for it, women. All right, you got it. Um, unpartnered, what does that mean? It means uh, not married or living with a partner. And I think the biggest reason for the growth of the unpartnered population is the decline of marriage. And so we're going to talk about that. I believe marriage ought to be a sign and wonder to the world. I believe that marriage ought to be, for those who are Christians, ought to be a visible witness of what Christ is all about in our lives is how we live that out. And so I want to encourage you along that line. Uh, the first 1,500 years, I don't know if you know this, first 1,500 years of the church, singleness was considered the preferred state. And you were considered that was the best way to serve Christ is to be single. So single sat in the front, married sat in the back. All right? That's how it went. After the Reformation, single people went to the back, married people went to the front. So we're going to have all the married people stand up and go to the back right now. Can we do that? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, there was a professor who divided the class, and uh, he was trying to determine about computers, are they male or female? And so he divided up the class and was just really trying to highlight men and women. And um, the male's response and what they thought computers were female, this is what was their, they have four responses. Number one, no one but the creator understands their internal logic. <laughs> All right. Number two, language used to communicate to others is incomprehensible to everyone else. Mm, I might get in trouble with that one. Uh, number three, even your smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory for later retrieval. <laughs> Number four, as soon as you purchase one, you spend half of your paycheck on the accessories. <laughs> Can you relate to that, man, huh? Female students said this about computers are male because they have a lot of data, but they're still clueless. Uh, number two, supposed to help you solve your problem, but half the time they are the problem. I don't understand that one. Number three, as soon as you commit to one, you realize that if you waited a little longer, you could have gotten a better model. <laughs> and last one, in order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. <laughs> All right, moving on. I know we're in church, right? Is a great marriage possible? Is a great marriage possible? How many believe it's possible? Yes. A great marriage, not just a good marriage. I would say, yes, it is likely, um, unless you do what everybody else does. There is a difference, and we've got to understand that. You know, it's, yes, it, it, a great marriage is possible, but it's not probable if you do what your culture does. We've got to come to that place. First marriage, 50% success rate. Second marriage is 35% success rate. Third marriage, 22% success rate. 
So the stats, I mean, they're horrific. Seriously, what's happening in our culture, what's happening in our world, and those who do stick together, they stick together with the kids. There's not joy. There's not, they lack intimacy. They're miserable. And so the odds are stacked up against you if you do what, what everybody else does. Now, I understand in this, in this place, in this house, that there are people, you've gone through difficult times in your marriage. The genogram of your life is that there was some, there was some hurt. There's some woundedness from that. And our heart is that we believe in the grace of God and the healing of God and the presence of God. And my prayer is that the arms of God's presence would come around you and what you've gone through and the difficulty. And so I want you to see it through the grid of God's grace, you know, today. And uh, some of you are experiencing pain right now. And, and we want to come alongside of you. I know that that's, that's the heart of Pastor James. That's the heart of Pastor Zach and... Uh, um, of this team is to come alongside of you. So what is a great marriage? What is a great marriage? We're going to talk about, first of all, the posture of a great marriage. And I'm going to have my beautiful wife come on up. Her name is Joy. And she is the joy of my heart. All right, so first posture is back to back. All right, beautiful. And back to back is basically conflict, arguments, um, it's, it's stonewalling, it's, um, just bitterness, maybe anger, you know, and, and it's just, it's a, it's a bad place to be in marriage. Now I'll have to be honest with you today. There were times that we've been back to back and sometimes that can go for days. That can go weeks. That can go for months. If it goes for weeks, find wise counsel. Don't stay there. All right. Cause the longer you stay there, the worse it gets. And so don't stay there. If you're stonewalling, don't stay there. Do something about it. That's the call for us. All right, then there's side to side, shoulder to shoulder. Oh, I really like this. Um, and shoulder to shoulder is the idea that, you know what, we, we have a partnership here. And when we met each other, we met each other at North Central Bridal College, I mean Bible College. And... Uh, and it was at North Central that, I mean, we studied together. We needed, we needed to get our degree and, and finish up school. We met right after our sophomore year. And, I mean, we didn't meet. We got married. We got married right after our sophomore year. And, uh, um, and, and so it was that. And then it was paying school bills, you know, and, uh, right? Yeah. And then, then uh, kids, you yeah. got pregnant, right? <laughs> and uh, we don't know how that happened. But then... Um, <laughs> You got pregnant, and then we had curtain climbers and kids, and, and, uh, and then it was sports and running them all over. And so life was busy. Anybody feel that way? Life was busy. And I think a lot of marriage is shoulder to shoulder. It's side by side. It, it's that posture, a lot of marriage. But it cannot be all marriage. If it is all marriage, you have nothing, you have nothing of substance to depend on. Or there's more to marriage than side by side. Because eventually, and, and there were times when we felt this way, eventually you feel like strangers passing in the wind. That you're, you, you know, you, I mean, there were times where like we were, after doing our taxi service for our kids and doing all the different things, workplace and all the things that we had to do, it was like, hey, stranger, I haven't seen you for a while. Good to see you, you know. And, and, uh, but marriage can't stay there. It has to have another element. And this is my favorite part, okay? Face-to-face. 
Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, and so it, it's, it's face to face. It's, it's, it's that moment. And, and biblical language for that is friendship. The biblical language for face-to-face is, is that friendship. Um, Moses had a face-to-face encounter with God, right? He, he, he had this intimacy. He had this relationship in the presence of God. Um, Jesus, Paul talks about someday we're going to see Jesus face-to-face. So it's that call, all right? And in our culture, basically, uh, we have a lot of things. We have FaceTime. We've got Zoom. We've got Facebook. It's all ba- based around face. You know, seeing the face. And there's something about that. You know, when you look in, in, into someone's face, it's, it's about that friendship. It's, you know what, you, you can't be mad when you're, when you're looking somebody in the face. I mean, it's really hard to do that, you know, because you, you're reminded of their love. When you look into the eyes, the, the eyes are the windows of the soul. So they see emotions. And your eyes glow, honey. And, uh, and, and they show you emotions and thoughts. And there's something beautiful about that. But face, face um, to face is dates. It's, it's ha- enjoying together. It's, it's enjoying times together. It's, it's carving out time that we can be together and build that sense of relationship. You know, And, and I think that that's primary all right, and, and if you do that, you're doing that, your kids will be blessed, all right? And so it's putting your marriage first and, and having that face time that's going to give you the substance that you need to have a, a great marriage. All right, thank you so much, Joy. So the question is, the question then becomes, does your marriage feel like a roommate? And a roommate is side by side. A roommate is, is the idea, you know what, we're a partnership, but we feel like strangers. We feel lonely in the house, even though we're doing our part, but we feel like we're roommates. And, and, and once again, marriage cannot be great if that's all it is. Um, cellmates is the idea of, you know what, you're back to back. Conflict, it's a miserable place to be. You've been stonewalling, and it's just gone on so long that you feel stuck. You know, and, uh, and then, then soulmates, soulmates is close friend. It's, it's unconditional love. It's deeply, feeling deeply connected. It's life-giving. I believe that's what God has designed marriage to be. It's that. John Gottman, who is a predictor, he's a professor of psychology, and he studied habits of marriage. He's a predictor somehow of marriages based on these habits. And he has a 91% success rate to determine if a marriage is going to make it or not. And, And he said these words, men and women want the same thing. Men and women are very different, but there's one thing that they hold in common. And that is by 70%, the most important thing to men and women is that their spouse be the nearest and dearest friend. It's that friendship. The happiest marriages are best friends. There's another quote that I want to give you. Um, Falling in love requires a pulse, but staying in love requires a plan. Very important for us to understand. Do Do you know that Satan has a plan to destroy your marriage? He's got a plan. In fact, we see Adam and Eve get married, and that's when we see Satan. When you get married, there is warfare that comes. And that warfare, then the enemy is out to destroy you. If he can destroy your marriage, he can destroy the family. 
And he can, he can bring all kinds of havoc into our world today. And so we need to have a plan. We need to have God's plan. And what does that look like? And so um, the second point that we're going to focus on today is the economics of a good marriage. George Bernard Shaw said these, these words, economy is the art of making the most of life. So how do we make the most of life? How do we understand this? So when Joy and I said, I do, on July 21st, 1979, we, we said, I do, based on a covenant, not a contract. It felt in the moment like it might have been a contract. I'll tell you why, what I mean by that. All right, so here Joy and I, we're in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin, and Wisconsin Rapids Assembly of God Church. Joy's dressed beautiful, white dress. I uh, didn't get it to see her until that day on the stage. Man, I was, I was mesmerized. And there I am. There's no air conditioning. Oh, I was sweating to death. I still remember that day. And it came to the place where I was supposed to say, I do. And I was reminiscing. And maybe I took a little too, too much time in that, okay? Uh, Joy would say, yes. <laughs> Did you hear her? Okay. And, uh, and, and, and so hey, there I was. Oh, man, I'm going to. This is a great decision. This is incredible. All my friends are here and family. And, and this is, and, and as I'm thinking about that, thanking the Lord, all of a sudden, Joy gets her arm up really high and she elbows me right in the gut. All right. And uh, at that point, I lost my breath. And I remembered, okay, I need to say I do. And I went, I stuttered. I never stutter. I stuttered. I, 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 I do. And the whole congregation broke out laughing. It was hysterical, seriously. And I'll never, my wife will never forget that or never allow me to forget that or my family. And uh, that, that was a moment. But at that point, I felt like maybe this is a contract and not a covenant. But because there's a little pressure here. But we live in a contract mentality society. And what I mean by that is you need to live up to the claims or the contract's dissolved. It's that idea. A contract is rights and responsibilities. And if you do not meet them, we're going to end this with an equitable settlement. I want to tell you that's not a biblical view. That is a worldly view. That is not what God has called you to do. He has called you to live a covenant marriage. A covenant marriage. So I do... With a covenant means marriage is an unconditional, steadfast love that's empowered by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. You get the resources through, through the Spirit to be able to make this work. It means I love you no matter what. No matter what happens, I love you. For better, for worse, for richer, or poor, sickness and health, I'm going to cherish and love you regardless of what happens. In India, um, there was a divorce rate of 1.1%. It's pretty amazing. Much of their marriages, 84% of their marriages are arranged. It's based on, tran it's a transactional arrangement. It, it's, it's based on some pragmatics in, in, in putting this together. But they have a 1.1. And then they, so they have this commitment and then they choose to love. In the United States, we choose to love. And then when the feeling of love is not there, we question, did we fall out of love or did we make a mistake? That's a contract marriage. That is not the covenant marriage that God has called us to. And so Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 is a passage of scripture. And it says, another thing you do, 
You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? And it's because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and, and the wife of your uh, youth. Because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, did he not make them one with the portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? God's godly offspring? So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So it talks about the wife of your marriage, part, your, your marriage covenant that you make that is so important. So how do, we, how do we make that happen? How do we see that happen? I believe, number one, it's this. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. God is your one. The big challenge in our culture is find the perfect one. That's where you'll find fulfillment. Somehow go out and if you find that person, that person is going to meet all your needs. Let me tell you, that's unfair for your spouse because the one that meets all your needs is God. God is the only one that can do that. That's the only one that, that can be able to have a healthy marriage is that you come together recognizing that. And, and so God is your one. It's foundational. Your spouse is your two. First of all, make that primary. Secondly, seek the one with your two. Seek the one with your two. Best practice that I believe, and we, any couples that we counsel, we always call them to prayer. I know it's, it might be awkward. I, there are many, many times um, people say, hey, we don't pray together. Um, Joy and I pray together every night. We, uh, we do a... We come to bed at the same time. We don't go to bed at different times. She wants to go to bed earlier, then I go to bed earlier. If she wants to stay up later, or, or usually me, if I want to stay up later, then we stay up later, you know, but we go to bed together and we pray together. We always pray together. We play a game of Yahtzee. Let me give you a little secret, okay? We play Yahtzee. We've been doing it for years. Play Yahtzee. Whoever wins has to roll over and kiss the other one. Not just, it's not like it's a lot of work, but anyway... <laughs> But that person has to take the initiative to go over and, and kiss the, the person, the one who wins. And then, um, then uh, we join hands. And we join hands. Whether we've had a robust dialogue, you know what that means? An argument, okay? Um, whether we have had a robust dialogue or not, we join hands and we pray. And we pray for our marriage. We pray for the activities of the day. We pray for whatever has come across our plate. But then we pick out one kid or one grandkid. And we focus on that. And we pray for them. The couple that prays together stays together. I think Tim Rudin, how many are familiar with Tim Rudin? Tim Rudin is a Christian counselor in this area, was a pastor, did some marriage seminars. Um, he, he said this, that um, couples that pray together um, each day have a 99.5% success rate. That means a 0.5 divorce rate. Can we see that happen in the yes. church? Yes. Can we see that take place? Number two, you're one with God. Um, you're one with God. Um, that, I mean, that's number three. You're one with God. Love, I mean, this is kind of the paradox here, okay? We, we're two people, but we're to complete each other. We're to complement one another. And you know what? In marriage, it's not about me. It's about we. And we're in this together. The bad smells, the warts, the imperfections, the issues. We all got issues, right? If you don't think you have issues, you got bigger issues. All right? We all have issues. And, and, and so it's so important for us to understand in all our imperfections, 
our shadow sides, you know, the good and the bad. We're, we're in this together. You know, people have said, you know, you guys have a great marriage. And you know what? We do. But I want to tell you that there was a time in our life where we both were studying for the ministry and we got married. And in the beginning, it was difficult. It, w- it was really tough. I mean, she was so different. You know, not just gender, you know, but she, we came from different economic um, backgrounds. We came from, I grew up in Florida. She grew up in Wisconsin. Um, we, we, were, we were different. She had a matriarchal family that, that was ran by mom, and, and I had a patriarchal family. My dad was a Marine sergeant, you know, and so everybody was acting like the Marine Corps in our house. We were both children of alcoholics, and so there was lots of stuff that we had to work through. And I believe one of God's greatest spiritual growth tools in our lives is our marriage. God uses our marriage to bring maturation, um, holiness. And that's his greatest desire. It's one of his greatest spiritual growth tools. So the third point was pursuit. The pursuit of a great marriage. That's the theme of this this church this year. Pursuit. Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3, it says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Jimmy Evans talks about the law of, of pursuit, mutual pursuit. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore, Shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the first time it talks about one flesh. There's several places. But the Hebrew word for cleave means this, to pursue with great energy, to cling together zealously. It's commanding men to zealously pursue your wife, energetically cling to her for the rest of your life. And so I just want to say that marriage works when you work at it. And when you stop working at it, it stops working. I know that that doesn't sound profound, but marriage is kind of like muscles in your body. You exercise those muscles, that marriage gets stronger. You stop exercising, it gets weaker. And so I, I think in order to really understand that, I think we have to come to this place. Every one of us that have come to know Jesus Christ, we have the Spirit of God in us. All right? We have the Spirit of God. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the source of our life and our marriage? Is it flesh or is it spirit? And I think it's very important to understand that. I believe living in the Spirit lives, you live in wisdom. Living in the flesh, you live out of foolishness. So we have to understand healthy relationships live out of the power of the Spirit. You cannot be healthy in your relationships without the power of the Spirit. The Bible says Jesus could do nothing on his own. He only do, he could only do what he sees the Father doing. The Spirit was, was the power source that, that he depended on. He calls us to follow that model. We live out of the power of the Spirit. Um, there are three ways that God works. Um, I like to say God works for you, cross, resurrection. Um, he, he's, he's worked for you. God works in you. He gives you a new nature. He gives you new power. He gives you new desires. And then God works through you. And he provides you the resources that you need for your relationships. And uh, so you need to assess, 
Is this fruit that I'm bearing, is it of the flesh or is it of the spirit? And I'll tell you this sometimes, I'm, the, I'm in the flesh. And I need, to live, I need to walk this out in the spirit. We live in this flesh, but we walk by the spirit. We set our mind on the spirit. Galatians 5.22, I want you to see that. If you have your Bibles, love for you to turn there. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. KJV says this, if you live in the Spirit, let us walk. Let us also walk in the Spirit. All right, um, passion translation, I like this. It says, if the Spirit is the source of your life, we must all also allow the Spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. That's what healthy marriages do. They, they depend on that. So if there's a time where, hey, I'm operating out of the flesh, we have this conflict going on, I need to go and spend some time getting in the Spirit so that we can have, I can operate in the, in the realm of the Spirit together. When somebody walks in the Spirit I'm going to tell you, it's win-win. There's, there, you, things begin to come together. When you walk in the flesh, they don't. And so life in the flesh, it's selfish. It's me-focused, manipulative. It, it's taking. It's draining. There's no peace. There's no love. There's no patience. There's no kindness. There's, there's not loving. You cannot have a healthy relationship in the flesh. Galatians 5.19 talks about that. I'm, I'm not going to read that because of time. Um, but basically, the centerpiece is selfishness. And, and we have to determine, am I going to live out of the spirit, which is servant? I'm going to be a, a servant in this relationship, like the model that Jesus has given us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take the interests of others too. So there's three kinds of marriages. There's a selfish, selfish marriage. It's taking, it's using, it's abusing, it's manipulating. And, and, and they say most marriages that end in divorce do it within seven years. It's, it's what they call the seven-year itch. What it is is two selfish people going at it, you know, and in and, and relationship, and they cannot have a healthy relationship. And what they do normally in our culture, what they do is in seven, be somewhere in that seven-year period, then they go find somebody else and they find out that person's selfish. They don't realize that they're selfish too, you know? And, and so marriage is God's greatest growth tool for us to recognize what they need is a new marriage with the same spouse. That's the call. All right, then there's the second type of marriage. There's the selfish and the servant marriage. You give, I take. You lose, I win. You consider me, I'm inconsiderate of you. All right, and, and, and that's not a healthy marriage either, you know, but... but um, then the last one is servant-servant marriage. And that's, that's a beautiful marriage. They say 9 to 14 years for a couple to learn to get from selfish to being servant. There's a growth plan. There's, a, there's something that God wants to establish. It's a healthy state for a marriage is when you live in that. Because you're thinking about the other spouse better than yourself. You're looking out for their own interests. It's spirit-empowered. God gives you the resources to be able to serve them. Dan Harrod said this, Dan P. Harrod said this, love is a tennis match. You never win consistently until you learn to serve well. I think it was Gary Thomas who said, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? We're all looking for happiness, 
But happiness comes through holiness. And so it's that idea. The, the, the last part of pursuit, and I think in the, your intentional plan, is seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. Find some people in your life that can be wise counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And so find someone who has a great marriage. Find someone who can point you to Jesus. I think that's wise counsel. Not someone who's a gossiper. I mean, uh, someone who can speak not only grace, but truth to you. So I, my, my opinion is don't go for family because family will be biased. Don't go for a friend because friend could be a biased, all right? You need to find someone who has a great marriage, someone who will point you to Jesus, someone who will speak the truth, and both partners agree on that wise counsel. But seek wise counsel before you have a problem. Because when you have a problem, then all of a sudden, that's all you're going to do is, is just throw up on them, all right? And, uh, and so it's just finding that. And, and, and so the call here to this church and to this community is to raise up marriage mentors. And we, we have a team of marriage mentors at this church, and we have um, a leader who's leading that, and that is Clyde and Karen Thompson. You guys ever heard of them? Yes, of course you have. And they're right over there. And there are leader reps for this campus. We have a team for every campus. And so it's exciting to see what God's doing. And that John Orberg said this, if churches would become marriage mentoring centers, it would create a revolution in our society. If you want to be mentored, and I challenge you, find wise counsel. And we're trying to raise that up so that we can be that for you as a church, so that we can be... Uh, a sign and wonder to the world that you can have a great marriage and reveal Jesus through your marriage. And so our challenge to you is go to the website and you can sign up for marriage mentoring there. And uh, I encourage you to do that. What are the results of a good marriage? As I said, sign and wonder. It's a mega revelation. It's the loudest gospel we can preach is the idea of of marriage. It, It really is, I mean... We're, we're called the bride as a church. Jesus is the groom. Someday we're going to come together in, in the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a revealing of something coming in the future. It's a taste of God's love. The, the second aspect, the result of a great marriage, it impacts generations. It impacts generations. Your marriage is making decisions for generations to come. Think of all the kids and children and grandchildren you'll impact. We have 18, all right? And how many have more than that, all right? You have more children and grandchildren than that, all right? Yeah, all right, some of you have that, that many children, okay? Um, Joy's mom was, lived to 100 years old. She had 100 grandkids, kids, and, and then great-grandkids. The impact that that would have, the patterns that are being established from generation to generation, the problem that's happening in our world today is the breakdown of the marriage. That's why there's a breakdown of family. That's why there's a confusion with so many areas of sexuality and understanding life and relationship is the breakdown of the marriage. So I just I want to challenge you in that. And then your highest marital satisfaction will come when you have an intentional plan to have a great marriage. There's a guy named Bradford Wilcox. I'll end with this. He was a researcher from the University of Virginia did the largest, largest data survey among men, um, sexuality, family, in the history of our country. This guy's a Catholic, 
And he came to this conclusion. Listen to this, man. Best husbands and fathers are evangelical, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, church-attending, prayer-uttering men. Come on. God's way works. God's way works. Lowest domestic violence is between two people who practice Christian faith. Lowest divorce rates and lowest adultery is between those who practice Christian faith. Highest pleasure and marital satisfaction is, is between those who practice Christian faith. God's way is the best way. Do you believe that? The doubt it proves that God's way works. So your last day is more important than your first day. We put a lot of interest in the, in the first day. We've got a wedding industry that we put so much work in that first day. But I, may your interest be in the last day, the last breath that you breathe. May you leave this earth with a covenant marriage that brings glory to Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we just come before you and I thank you so much for what you're doing. We pray that you would raise the culture of marriage in this church.